Please turn in the Word of God to 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. We're going to begin this morning looking at verse 14, 1 Samuel 13 and 14. I'm not sure if this will be a series or not. I kind of think it will be, but I want to talk to you about the life of David. And when you think about talking about the life of David, that's a very large subject because Abraham, David, Jesus, Moses, you know, those three or four individuals in the Bible that have a lot of scripture written about them. And David is at the top. I mean, he, there is so much information about David. There's nothing hidden really in David's life. It's kind of unnerving to think about the, the, the biographical way in which David's life is presented. There's no stone unturned in the life of David from the time he was a boy all the way up. As a matter of fact, we have more information about David as a boy than we do Jesus. Okay. So as we consider the life of David, I want to talk to you about the solitary shepherd boy. And I hesitate to use the word boy because he was, he was more than a boy, as we would think in terms in our culture of a, of a boy or a man or a young man. But since it kind of flows, I'm going to use that, the solitary shepherd boy. And as we consider that, I want you to look at 1 Samuel 13. And when this verse is, is written, when this is spoken... This is when David was a shepherd boy. So let's read in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14 as the prophet Samuel is rebuking King Saul, the first king of Israel, because he has made a huge mistakes. And he's telling Saul, the Lord has removed you as the king. Now, he doesn't come off the throne technically or literally until he dies many years later. But in God's eyes, Saul was no longer fit to be king. And the disaster, you know, in Saul at this point right here, he should have just turned his resignation in and just said, okay, I submit to the will of God. But he was too prideful to do that. That'll be a great lesson to us about pride. The Lord, without question, tells Saul through Samuel, you're done. I'm done with you, and I'm going to raise up somebody else. And it would have been a good time just to enter his retirement or his resignation. Verse 14, Samuel says to Saul, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. And here's the first mention of David. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. This is all a reference to David. And don't forget that Samuel has no idea who it is. He's speaking under the inspiration of God. God is telling Samuel what to say. But he doesn't know who this is. And there's a reason for that. And there's also a reason why he doesn't tell Saul it's David. Because Saul would have loaded up at that point and headed out to go arrest and execute David. Which, of course, God would have intervened. But you understand, this is like secret agent stuff going on here with Samuel. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So here we see Samuel mentioning David, not by name, at the very end of Saul's reign. I want to give you a little bit of background about what's going on here in the days that this is written. You may think times are terrible now. And in a lot of ways, they are. <laughs> Culturally, socially, politically, religiously. Yeah, I don't use the, the, the word spiritually because religion can be a whole separate thing from spirituality. 
But you think about how terrible things are, and it's just so much darkness out there and confusion, and Satan is just having his way. This that we read about here in the context of what's going on in this failed leadership context of King Saul, where he totally failed spiritually and you know, from a governmental standpoint, it's a terrible time. I mean, it's nothing but bad news every day they woke up. Let me give you a little bit of the background. First Samuel comes on the heels of the time of the judges. And if you know anything about the time of the judges, if you've ever read it, the dominating theme through the book of Judges is every man did that which was right in his own eyes without regard to what God wanted. That's the theme of the book of Judges. Can we identify with that today? We are living in a modern day time of the book of Judges. Every man does that, or every man, woman, or child does what is right in their own eyes without regard for what God says. I was joking with the kids yesterday. My feelings were a little hurt. And I said, well, you know what? Today I'm going to identify as a puppy. (laughs) Y'all don't think that was funny? My kids didn't get it either, you know. You can identify as anything you want to nowadays. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And I said, well, maybe they'll be nice to me, you know, and pet me like a puppy if I identify as a puppy. I'm just joking, of course. They weren't being ugly to me. I was just being funny. And obviously it wasn't very funny, Brother Jim. But if I decided I wanted to be a woman, if I decided I wanted to be a child, if I decided I wanted to be a dog, we're living in that time. I've heard of people already identifying as animals. We laugh and we smirk, but it's bizarre. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. You know, we've had a really good experience, mostly good experiences through the year with Children's Hospital. And I've told Sister Tracy before that if I get deathly sick, you know, they just take children at Children's Hospital. If I get death, maybe y'all think this is funny. But if I get deathly sick and I'm about to die, take me to Children's Hospital and tell them that I identify as an eight-year-old girl. And they have to treat me. This is the time of the judges. Genocide. Homosexuality. Confusion. Murder. I mean, the list just goes on. It's because the people decided to do what they wanted to do and not do what God said. It was a terrible time. And in the midst of that chaos, a little bright spot comes up. And that little bright spot was in the form of a little boy. And I'm not talking about David yet. There was a little boy that was born about 80 or so years prior to the scripture that we just read. Where Samuel rebukes Saul and he's no longer king. But about 80 years before, in the midst of that time of the judges, when every man did that which is right in his own eyes, a little boy was born to a formerly barren woman named Hannah. And that little boy's name was Samuel. And in the midst of the religious chaos of Eli, the priest, who was supposed to be handling things from a religious standpoint and doing the Mosaic law and doing it right, his sons were wreaking havoc upon the people because they were bullies and they were mean and they were fornicators and adulterers and they were, they were just causing all types of trouble for the, the people that God dreaded to go up to worship God. But then there was that little bright spot. They'd look over there to the side and they'd see little Samuel decked out in his little ephod, his breastplate with the jewels of the 12 tribe on there, and his little turban scurrying around doing exactly what he was told. There was at least one little bright spot in those days. There were not many bright spots. On the hills of the time of the judges, when Eli, the old priest, 
is making a mockery of religion. You know, that's a sad thing to see. That's, you see a lot of that today. There's a lot of things out there that have the name of Christ or the name of religion. But if you dig deep into them, they make a mockery of religion. You say, what are you talking about, Brother Tim? That's a subject for another day. But it ought to behoove us to inspect carefully and measure by the Word of God everything that comes along in the name of Christ, including anything that I or Brother Luke or another brother that preaches puts in front of you. You should measure it by the Word of God. Don't just take my word for it. I don't have anything to hide. Eli is making a mockery of religion. There's that little bright spot of Samuel coming on the scene, being adopted by Eli the priest. And then on top of all of this, in the early part of 1 Samuel, when Samuel was just a boy, guess what happens? There's a war with the Philistines, and the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. You say, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. Just to put it in a natural perspective, pretend for just a moment that somebody attacked America and they stole the Statue of Liberty. You'd be like, what? No. Or they went and marched into Washington, D.C. and they stole the Lincoln Memorial. You'd be like, no, that can't happen. A thousand times more significant in history and reality and before the Lord is the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments God gave to Moses was placed in there, where Aaron's rod that budded was, and things like that that were so significant to the Mosaic Law and precious to God. And that's been stolen in battle because Eli's son came and took the Ark in spite of their dad's warning. They marched it out there to the battle scene And they think that the Ark of the Covenant is going to deliver them. But there's no power in the Ark of the Covenant. It's the God that made and caused the Ark of the Covenant to be made and gave the law. That's where the power is. And so, of course, the Philistines, they panic, attack, kill Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, and capture the Ark. They've lost the Ark. That was like, in America, losing the Statue of Liberty, losing the Lincoln Memorial, them just picking up the White House and just carrying it away. It gets worse. Eli... The old priest who was supposed to be in charge of everything, he dies. In the midst of all that, he had a heart attack. He had a stroke. He fell over and he died. It was so bad that one of the poor, probably abused wives of one of Eli's sons, one of his daughters-in-laws, had a child the day that all this happened. She went into labor early and had a premature child. And when she died, the last words that she breathed out of her mouth was what to name that child. And she cursed that child by naming him Ichabod. And if there's anybody in the crowd named Ichabod, I'm sorry, but that's just from the Bible, okay? I don't know if any of y'all named Ichabod. Although I did get in a pretty bad bind with your dad one time, didn't I, Brother Luke, on names, so I need to be careful. Ichabod. You say, well, that's not that bad, but it means the glory has departed from Israel. How'd you like to be named that child? You know, you, you think about that poor kid in comparison to Samuel. You know, you see Samuel coming. He's a little fella. He's so cute. He's got his... Well, here comes the little glory has departed. Ichabod. I bet you he had a hard time finding people to play with on the playground. There's Ichabod. Let's stay away from him. There's no glory about him. And his mama died and his dad died and his grandfather died. This is a terrible time because of the circumstances politically, religiously, culturally, socially... This mother, in an act of dying, cursed her child with a terrible name. Don't you know that when she gave him that name, that it signified years and years of misery and unfaithfulness that came from her husband? I mean, she was the classic domestic violence victim there. 
He just abused her and abused her and took advantage of her. And his legacy was a little fellow named Ichabod. But we're not here to talk about Ichabod. This is a terrible time. Can it get any worse? Absolutely. In the midst of all of this, Israel comes to Samuel. And they say, let's throw away our constitution. Let's do away with the Declaration of Independence. Let's do away with everything that God has provided for us in this theocracy that we live in. We don't need God anymore. We don't need Him to reign over us and tell us how to live our lives. We need a king. We need a man to tell us what to do, like the other nations around us. How do we put that in perspective today? There are usurpers among this nation even that says, burn the Constitution. Do away with the form of government that has secured your and my religious freedom for all of these years. And let's go to something like communism, you know, where everybody's treated fairly, which is the devil's lie. Communism leads to the murder of people, either directly to kill off the people that don't say what you say, or they go through these austerity campaigns where they starve out people because they don't have enough to go around. But it sounds good on the front end. Oh, well, everybody will have something to go around. Everybody will have something. It would be like the entire nation the majority, 80%, 90% of America saying, let's do away with the Constitution, let's do away with the court system, let's do away with the Congress, and let's start over from scratch. That is absolute chaos politically. And that's what the people did. They said, we're not satisfied with God being our king. Give us a king. And God said, okay, you're going to regret it, but I'll give you what you're asking for. We ought to be careful about things like that in times of political upheaval when people look to a man or a woman and say they've got all the answers they don't have all the answers nobody has all the answers on this earth but God has all the answers and so at least they permitted God to select who their leader was and it was Saul and he was a handsome fella he was head and shoulders above in height above everybody else he stood out in a crowd So from a natural standpoint, as you looked at Saul, you'd be like, that's the guy. He's got all the answers for us. We don't really need God anymore. So let's just get that guy and we'll do what he says. And so he's anointed as the king. That's all through. Listen, everything I'm talking to you about starts at 1 Samuel, the first chapter, and comes all the way down here to the chapter that we're on, leading up to David. And in the midst of all this chaos, Saul proves he's a nice looking guy and he's head and shoulders tall above everybody else but he proves to be a complete colossal flop he doesn't do spiritually what god commands him to do he goes off into areas that he shouldn't go off into he doesn't obey god and the lord says i'm done with you and i'm going to raise me up a man a man who is after god's own heart that's pretty bad isn't it i'm not saying the united states of america is Israel. That, that's not even on the table. That's not even on the radar. I'm just saying, if you can't take instruction and guidance from a terrible time like this, and look at what we're going through, and see how terrible things are, and it's just black and dark and evil, and, and the next thing that comes at you is something even more evil than the thing before, and it's just, it blows your mind. Take hope, child of God, from, from this teaching. There's been times like this before. Maybe it is worse than it's ever been. It might be. But 
It's been bad before. And I'll tell you this, that God is still on His throne. That God will not forsake His people. He didn't promise them easy times, but He will not forsake His children. And He's still on the throne. You say, well, how can He let all of this stuff go on? Listen, God is sovereign, and the the things that He suffers to happen does not mean that He's causing them or approving them. He did not approve of the Philistines stealing the ark in battle. He did not approve of Eli's sons doing what they did. He suffered it to be, and he kept moving forward to a point. And here you find that point where he says, I'm going to raise up a man after my own heart. So now, if you turn over to 1 Samuel 16, a lot more chaos goes on in the reign of Saul. But in the midst of all this chaos... When the halls of government were filled with liars and cheats and Saul, the king, suffered from bouts of insanity, religion was just a shell. The ark came back to Israel, but it was way out there on the border somewhere. They hadn't even brought it back to the tabernacle yet. So the, the, the worship was not the way that it should be. There seems to be no hope. But the Lord turns our attention to a little nowhere town, a little hamlet seven miles south of Jerusalem. And not just the village itself, but the Lord turns our attention out to the rolling hills. You say, how could God, with all of that chaos going on, How could he care about what's going on out on the rolling green grass hills outside of Bethlehem? I'm telling you, that is our God. He cares more about what's going on in the life of a boy than he does with what's going on in the halls of Congress. Young men, are you listening to me? Are you hearing what the Word of God says that he's got his eye on whenever Everybody else's eyes are trained on the political chaos. And everybody else's eyes are trained on the religious chaos. And on the social chaos. And maybe on the social network. All the chaos that is there. God's got his eyes trained on a little boy. A young man who is sitting out on the hillsides near Bethlehem. And he's got his lyre in his hand or his harp in his hand. And the sheep are grazing around. What a peaceful scene. What a glorious scene. It's quiet. It's calming. And that young man is sitting out there, no doubt, plucking on the strings of a harp. And perhaps he's singing, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Nobody really knows when he wrote Psalm 23. Some people think that he wrote it after he was king. Perhaps it's the most popular psalm that's ever been written. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't know if he wrote it out there when he was a boy. I know he wrote some stuff when he was a boy. Perhaps he wrote it when he was a boy. And then years later, whenever he was king, he said, hey, let me share this with you that I wrote when I was 14. You know, in a very distant and strange way, having written songs myself, not psalms and not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but having written songs all my life, and I can remember pulling out for the kids like, Recently, in the last few years, I'd say, I just found a song that I wrote when I was 20 years old. And I'd play it for them. They'd be like, man, you were twisted. What was wrong with you? (laughs) I'm just kidding. 
But think about, he wrote this a long time ago, possibly, and he pulls it out later. But I can just see David. Can you see him out there on the hillsides when all of that chaos is going on and he's out there just taking care of those sheep? We find a solitary shepherd boy, one that is destined to lead the nation of Israel, the sheep of God. Don't ever forget that David is a type of Christ. He's in the lineage of Christ. He's a fore ancestor of Christ. But don't ever forget that in many ways, the life of David, many things about David's life, he is a picture of the coming great shepherd. Now here's something I pulled from a commentary, a fellow named David Mitchell who is Scottish. And I want to share this with you. It's worth reading to you because it talks about sheep and shepherds. A word about shepherds and sheep. Now, sheep are not known for their intellect. There was never a Nobel Prize winning sheep. The writer says, I grew up in Scotland where there's lots of sheep and shepherds. There we have lots of sheep. And honestly, sheep do foolish things. For instance, I have seen a sheep up a tree. I don't know how it got there, but it was stuck. Sheep wander into swamps and get sucked in. They roll on their backs, you know, like a turtle, and they can't get up. They love to eat clover, but it blows them up like a balloon, and it kills them. Sheep don't win medals for bravery either. They are fearful creatures. They panic, and they run off blindly. That's what happens in the great work, Far From the Matting Crowd. Gabriel Oak's flock panic and run over a cliff in an act of blind, panic-inspired mass suicide made me think of the herd of swine that plunged over and drowned themselves. So spare a thought for sheep. They are born helpless into a world red in tooth and claw, a world which they have neither brain nor brawn to cope with. Yet in spite of all this, sheep have prospered. In Scotland, we have 4.5 million people and 7 million sheep. The sheep are winning. (laughs) But it's not because of the sheep. Frankly, prospects are dim for the lonely sheep. They prosper because people look after them. If you were a sheep, what would be the thing that you really need the most? Answer, a shepherd. Charles Spurgeon said of Psalms 23, It is David's heavenly pastoral hymn, psalm, a surpassing ode which none of the daughters of music can excel. The clarion of war here gives place to the pipe of peace. And he who so lately bewailed the woes of the shepherd, that's in Psalm 22, by the way, rehearses the joys of the flock, sitting under a spreading tree with his flock around him, like John Bunyan's shepherd boy in the Valley of Humiliation. We picture David singing this unrivaled pastoral with a heart as full of gladness as it could hold. I couldn't say that any better. Thank you, Brother Spurgeon. Can you picture David there? Listen to what he says. When all the chaos is ruling the attention of the people of the day, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's something to be said at this point about shepherds and sheep. More to be said. Under the Mosaic law, and in most of the cultures, shepherds were considered to be unclean. You know why? Because they lived out a lot of their time and loneliness out on the fields, watching over the sheep as they ate and slept and drank. And so there was a conflict, there was a tension there between the priests and those that were shepherds. And it's an interesting tension, is it not? Because the priests were dependent upon the shepherds to get sheep so that they could use them in the sacrifice. You see that? And yet, they would take the sheep from the shepherds and view them as unclean. So it's very significant that David says, the Lord, Jehovah, is my shepherd. He's not saying God is unclean. You get that? This is an elevation of the shepherd office. This is David's view. David had this view whenever he was a boy. That's one of the reasons that he was a man after God's own heart. Listen, don't think that there's some inherent goodness about David that the Lord just saw, well, this is the one I'm going to pick. No, it says over in the, further in the Psalms that it says the Lord chose David and he took him from the sheepfolds. There was no inherent goodness about David. It was God's goodness that God had placed in him. And David hearkened to that. David identified with that. As a child of grace, let me tell you, young man, older man, young women, older women, whatever age you are, as a child of grace who God has touched by the Spirit of God, He has put goodness in you. Are you identifying with that? Are you identifying with the politics and the culture and the religion that's out there? I'm telling you, it is so important, especially in this day and time, to identify with what God has put inside you. You know, you can identify with the wickedness of the world and say, I'll just follow along the path and do whatever I want to do because every man does that which is right in his own eyes, right? And that is destruction. That is death. That is what leads to absolute chaos in your life. But you identify with what God has placed in you. You say, what is that, Brother Tim? It's that voice and inside you. It's that, that feeling, that spirit within you that says, don't do that. It's wrong. And the spirit says, do this. It's right. You see, that's what David did. He was a born again child of God. And he identified with what God had put inside him. And he listened to it. And he hearkened to it. And he followed that. And the Lord said, this is a man after my own heart. You want to be a man, woman, or child after God's own heart. That's how. You don't have to be David back however many thousands of years ago. You can be a man or woman or child after God's own heart today. You can walk out of here today with the will and the determination that God has given you life. And you can be a man, woman, or child after God's own heart. And you know what that means? That means you listen to God. That means you listen to His Word. That means you pray to God. That means you, when the Lord whenever you are presented with temptation, you listen to the Lord. And you run from that temptation. And sadly, we're living in a day and time that many people don't even know when, what temptation is. I guarantee you, in each of your life, including mine, you can look right now and analyze where you are, what you're doing, who's around you, who you're involved with, who you associate with, and, and within minutes you can say, oh my goodness, there's a lot of temptation around me. I need to be careful. I need to make sure that my circle, that, that which I operate in, that which I move in, is something that's protected and honoring God. And temptation isn't just constantly coming in and breaking through the defenses. 
Maybe you don't even have any defenses. Maybe you don't even know you're supposed to have them up. David had his defenses up. Now listen to me. David wasn't perfect. You'll see if we continue looking at this somewhere down the road as we look at David as an older man, the worst times of David's life come when he's in his 50s. And he makes some horrible mistakes. So don't sit there and say, well, I can't identify with David. I just can't identify with him. He was a sinner just like you and me. And he himself succumbed or gave in to temptation. Okay? The solitary shepherd boy. What a different scene than what's going on in the halls of Congress and on the halls of religion and in the areas that are just total chaos. The Lord puts His attention down here on the little shepherd boy who's out there with the sheep, keeping the sheep safe and watching them eat and drink and sleep. Now, God said that He was a man after my own heart. That means that the inner man, the inner part, David's thinking, David's reflection, David's resolution, David's determination of his will, his conscience, the seed of desires in David, the seed of emotions within David, and the seed of passions within David, what he was passionate about, that means that he was in tune to the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that he was perfect. It means that he's listening to God. And in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, we find... A lot more information about David. It says, The Lord said unto Samuel, How long will thou mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Still doesn't know his name. And Samuel said, How can I go? Because he knows how Saul is on a tear. Saul has lost his mind, and he wants to kill Samuel even. If Saul hear of this, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee for a sacrifice, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice. He's going down to Bethlehem, seven miles south of Jerusalem. And I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town. This is kind of funny. This is a little bit of humor thrown in the word of God. The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? You know, you're in a bad state of mind. You're in a bad situation whenever you fear the preacher coming around. Oh boy, here comes Brother Tim. I wonder what he's going to lay on me this time. Well, I'm telling you, if you're thinking when I come around, I wonder what he's going to get me for this time, then you've obviously done something. (laughs) If that's how you think, we ought to rejoice when we see the preacher coming. We ought to say, maybe he's got something for me. Maybe he's got a word for me. Maybe he's got some counsel for me. Maybe he's got a kind word to say to me. That's what we ought to be doing as ministers of the gospel, of being concerned and giving kind words and counsel. But these people were like, is everything okay? We're, we're worried. You know, they knew they'd been doing something wrong. And because of the chaos that was out in the, uh, the culture and the nation around them, they were worried to death about the preacher coming. And he said, I'm coming peaceably. Don't worry. I'm not bringing fire and brimstone. I'm come to sacrifice of the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. This was secret agent stuff right here. Samuel is on a secret mission from God. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked unto on Eliab, which is the oldest of Jesse's sons. And in his mind, Samuel said, see, these, these guys don't know anything that's going on. Jesse doesn't know what's going on. Eliab, the other sons of Jesse, don't know what's going on. And so Samuel hasn't told anyone what's going on. 
Because it's just between him and God. And the Lord's going to show him who the anointed king is. And remember, David at this point is probably 13, 14, maybe 15. So Eliab comes before. He's probably in his late 20s because Samuel's got a lot of boys. And he looks on Eliab and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Nice looking young man. This ought to be him. You know, he's handsome. He looks like he's got leadership qualities. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. Hey, there's nothing wrong with this guy. I mean, he's a, he's a nice guy. But you know what? In God's sovereignty, this is not who God has called. So Samuel's looking with his natural eyes. God is looking upon the heart. See? The Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That kind of ties into what I spoke to you about last week, about seeing each other with the eyes of Jesus. The Lord is looking upon the heart. The Lord doesn't just look on the surface. He looks to the heart of what's going on. That's why Jesus said in the New Testament to the Pharisees, Matthew the 23rd chapter, He said, Woe unto you Pharisees. There's like seven woes pronounced upon the Pharisees because Jesus could see past their cloaks and past their scriptures written on their cloaks and the things that they carried around for show. Jesus could see that they were whited sepulchers. That means they were nothing more than graves with dead bones inside. See, the Lord looks upon the heart. Child of grace, the Lord's looking upon your heart this morning. It's a little bit unnerving, isn't it? You say, well, nobody knows what I did last night. You know, nobody knows where I was. Nobody knows who I was with. You know, it's funny how, you know, bad news travels way faster than good news, right? (laughs) I guarantee you somebody knows where you were and somebody saw what you were doing. I'm telling you, I've been to the most remote parts of the world, the United States of America. We would go somewhere far away and we'd be vacationing, you know, and you'd see somebody that you knew or that knew somebody that you knew. It's the craziest thing. You can't do anything, really, without somebody here on earth knowing what you do. But on top of that, God sees everything. God sees what you do. He sees what you think. David said he knows my downsittings and my uprisings. He knows the very thought in my mind and the word in my mouth before I say it. That's unnerving. So you... You're so proud of yourself, like I often am. Well, I, you know, I didn't say that insulting thing that I thought. I'm so proud of myself. And then you think, God saw my thought. How can you be proud of yourself? You thought something you shouldn't say. That's unnerving. God says, I'm not looking on the outward appearance. I'm looking on the heart. I have refused this young man. So he goes on. Jesse calls Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. You know, Samuel's probably scratching his head. He doesn't really know Jesse. He's probably thinking, seven men come in front of me and God's refused all this. And so Samuel does what anybody, he says, are these all your children? You got any more boys? And Jesse says, yeah, I mean, there's that little nobody. The one we leave out there keeping the sheep, which by the way, he was not a nobody. If you were going to keep the sheep, you better know what you were doing. There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and he brought him in. And here is the first beautiful picture that we get of the lad, of the young man, solitary shepherd boy. Look at the picture. He sent and he brought him in. It says now he was ruddy. Physically, he was ruddy. That's not an insult. The basic root of definition of ruddy means reddish. So for all of you know, you redheads in the crowd, it's very possible that David may have been redheaded. It's possible. Ruddy means reddish, possibly in hair, but 
It also can mean something more than that. It means vibrant and glowing and beaming. You ever seen the countenance of someone? I've said that many times. I've used Sister Tracy so many times as an example. Y'all are probably sick of hearing of it. But I tell you what, she's my greatest and most favorite example. When I first laid eyes on Sister Tracy, there was a glowing countenance about her. And it's like I was a fish and got, oh, I got hooked. There's something about this girl. She had a glowing, beautiful countenance. You know, she didn't look like she'd been brought up, you know, drinking dill pickle juice. Sour looking. She had bright glowing, beaming. You know, she didn't look like she'd just stolen cookies out of the cookie jar. You, ever, you know the countenance of a child or even a young person? You know, when you've done something wrong, you just can't hardly look somebody in the eye. You know, How you doing? I'm great. Yeah. There's a proverb that addresses that. It says, the wicked flee when no man pursues. You know, when you're not even being pursued and you know you've done something wrong, you just kind of can't, you know, you just kind of, uh-huh, you know. It's like your face, your complexion, your countenance testifies to your sin. Isn't it great to be able to look somebody in the eye and just beam and be happy and glowing? And you know you're a sinner and you know you're not perfect, but you know that you have a Savior that has forgiven you of your sins. This is David. David comes in with a glowing countenance, ruddy, beautiful, Fair, handsome, and comely. It says he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance. Now, I've said before, you know, I look at my little grandson right now, Link, and I say, he's beautiful, you know? Now, when he's 15, 16 years old, I'm, I'm probably not going to say, buddy, you're beautiful. I'm probably going to say, you're very handsome. You know, it's a little strange to call a 14, 15, 16-year-old young man beautiful. But understand what it means. It means handsome. That's what it means. It would be an interchangeable word to say beautiful of a young woman or beautiful of a young man. He had a handsome countenance. Do you get that? He had a handsome spirit about him. As I said, our spirit will testify to what we're doing. You can just tell when somebody's different and their countenance has fallen. As a matter of fact, that's Bible. Do you know that? In the Word of God, it talks about people's countenance falling. You, know, you can just tell those things. It's not that you're some kind of prophet or some kind of seer that you can tell, but you can just tell when somebody's countenance has fallen. David's countenance is lifted up. It says he was goodly to look on. That phrase, goodly to look on, means functional. So when you looked at David, the thing that stood out about him, listen, this is going to be a little touchy right here, but it wasn't a nose ring and it wasn't a tattoo. And it wasn't a hair down to, you know, his ankles. A hundred other things we could name. It wasn't his followers on the internet. It wasn't the deer horns that he had, you know, tracked on the front of his car. That's way back in the 70s, isn't it? You know, it wasn't fill in the blank. It wasn't anything about his person that distracted you from his countenance. Y'all with me? He had a goodly countenance to look upon. The word look to means a looking glass. So upon inspection of this young man, when you looked at him, you thought, not just that's a nice looking young man, but this young man has got a great countenance. He's nice. He's pleasant. He presents himself in a pleasant way. What a lesson for us at any age, right? Later in this chapter, verse 18, they speak of David. It says, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. That's the boy David that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, this was before Goliath, by the way, and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person. Now I want you to think about not just his physical attributes, but think about the abilities that David had at 15 years old. And, and let me say this, this is not to shame anybody that's 15 or didn't have these attributes when they were 15. That's not what this is about at all. It's just talking about the life of David the solitary shepherd boy who spent so much time out in the wilderness. But it ought to give us a lesson 
to help inspire us to be more like someone who is a man after God's own heart. Are y'all with me? These are the attributes of David. The abilities that David had developed by the time that he was age 15. He was a top-notch shepherd. He was a cunning player on the harp. He was a psalm writer. He was skilled with a sling. He was a fierce warrior. You say, well, wait a minute. Goliath hadn't happened yet. You know what? That's right. But he fought a lion and he fought a bear and brought it back and showed it to the community. He said, look what I did. He's also anointed by the time he's 15. He's anointed to be king. That's amazing, isn't it? He's anointed king at age 15. Now, he doesn't take the throne until he's about 30. And the Lord doesn't reveal everything to him until the appropriate time. Because it would have been too much for him to handle. So David gets anointed by Samuel, and then David just goes back out to the field and continues to do what he was doing and train for the greatest event that would come to his life, which was to be the king of all of Israel. Just a little shepherd boy. Child of grace, whatever your age may be. Have you missed your anointing? I'm not talking about being born again. You can't miss that. Amen? (laughs) You can't miss being born again because God's going to take you and make you into what He wants you to be as a child of grace. But have you missed your anointing? Do you know what God has for you in your life? It may not be to be the king of Israel, but I'm telling you as a child of grace, born of the Spirit, He has something for you to do to honor Him in your life. You say, I don't know what that is. Then it's time to look to your anointing. You're anointed to serve Him, to honor Him. What are your gifts? What are your things that you're good at? You say, I don't have any of these attributes of David. You know, I can't even carry a tune in a bucket. I can't play anything. That's not the point. The point is that whatever David did, he excelled at it. You see that? It doesn't matter if you're talking about being a day laborer or if you're talking about working in a factory or if you're talking about digging a ditch or if you're talking about being an accountant, fill in the blank, a farmer. Whatever you do, God has anointed you to excel at that for His glory. Does that make sense? Excel at that. And you know what? You'll be a man, woman, or child after God's own heart. To excel at the things that please God. It's really easy to do it when you think about it. Now look... I want you to think about this. David was not free from obstacles in his life. Listen to this. David had family issues. He was overlooked. You understand, David was not even there when Samuel showed up for the sacrifice, right? Ah, oh, it's just David. He's out there with the sheep, which was an important job. But you can imagine what the brother said. Where are you going? Dad's called us. We got a message to go to this sacrifice that the great prophet Samuel's coming to our village. And David's like, can I go? No, you can't go. You got to stay here and keep these sheep. So he was overlooked. He was also disdained or disrespected by his older brother. You remember when David later comes to the scene of the battle where Goliath was and he brings food for his brothers and to check. He was sent by his dad to check on things. And so he gets there and one of the brothers says, what are you doing here? Why have you left those few sheep out there in the wilderness? You see, he was being disrespectful. He was being a smart aleck. He was being a smart aleck to his little brother. He didn't know that he didn't understand that his brother was going to be king one day, yet he's being disrespectful and ugly to his little brother. What are you doing here? Go back and take care of those sheep. You just want to come and see the battle. And David said those famous words that that if you've read the word of God at all, you remember is there not a cause? Is there not a cause for me to be here? Is there not a cause to fight for? I ask you the question, before David even realized that he was going to be king, did he, was he anointed and was he able to seek to fulfill God's desire for him in his life? I believe he was. He said, there's a cause. I'm just a little shepherd boy, but I'll fight. I'll go up against this giant. I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but 
You understand, he had problems at home. He was also required to work at an early age. What is the major problem of our nation today? You can shout it out. Nobody wants to work. I'm not talking about any of you here, but look, I love Zaxby's. Some of y'all don't like Zaxby's. Sister Tracy doesn't like Zaxby's eating inside because it's too cold in there for her. She can't enjoy the meal. I love Zaxby's. They've got this salad that they have every now and then, and it's delicious. So I go through Zaxby's to order one and drive on the way home and eat it on the way home. Pray for me. Sometimes I eat a salad in my truck on the way home. <laughs> but it's 4.30 in the afternoon. Y'all need to know that for this little story. It's 4.30. I pull up. I'm just sitting there waiting, you know, contemplating things, you know, and I'm waiting, waiting. Nobody comes on the speaker. Can I take your order? So I finally looked over here because I knew what I wanted. I wanted that salad. And the sign on the thing says, closed at 4. We don't have anybody to work. There goes my salad. And I'm like, what? 4.30 in the afternoon? What is everybody doing? There's got to be somebody out there that wants a job. Somebody says, well, you know, work is a curse. No, work is not a curse. You understand that work was in the Garden of Eden, ordained of God, before the curse came along. But whenever God brought the curse upon mankind because of Adam's sin, work got a little bit harder. That's for sure. He said, by the sweat of your face, you will earn your living. David was required to work at a very early age. And he had a lot of danger in the workplace. And he had extreme loneliness, time alone to observe and watch the sheep eat, drink, and sleep. David suffered from extreme elements of the weather. You see, David's just a sinner like you and me. But he was a man after God's own heart. I'm going to read Psalm 23 one more time and take a little bit of liberty. Because I want you to see what kind of shepherd David was. And I'm going to read this from the perspective of those sheep, those little animals, of which spiritually you are one. David is my shepherd. As a sheep, I shall not want. David makes us to lie down in green pastures. And David leads us as sheep beside the still waters. David restores our soul, refreshes our soul. David leads us in the paths of righteousness for the shepherd's namesake. Yea, though we as sheep walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for the shepherd is with us. David's rod and David's staff, they comfort us as sheep. David prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, the foxes, the coyotes, the lions, the bears, the wild dogs. David prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. David anoints our head with oil. My cup runneth over. How many, how many of you have ever seen a sheep with a cup? <laughs> Walking around with a cup and his little hoof. You know what's going on here? David has brought these sheep up to his table and he's feeding them off the table. So they say, they say David's cup is my cup. The shepherd's cup is my cup. Child of grace, the shepherd's cup is your cup. Do you hear me? It's not the cup of wrath that he had to drink on the cross, but it is the cup of peace and provision as the great shepherd that he is. Surely we as sheep Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And we will dwell in the house of David, the shepherd, forever. You think David knew about sheep and shepherds? I hope and pray that the life of David, the solitary shepherd boy, can help us identify 
with what God has his eyes on and what God is looking at and what he expects us to have our eyes on and to be looking at. Truly, if David was a great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ is our greater shepherd. And we can trust in him that even in the presence of our enemies with chaos all around, we can have peace because we drink from his cup. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord and serving him and honoring him, and be a man, woman, or child after the Lord's own heart. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing some song.